are uh, dismissed to Children's Church this time. Uh, Take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to Romans uh, chapter 12 this morning. Uh, We'll be in Romans chapter 12, verses uh, 17 uh, through 21. Follow along then as we read the Word of God. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for uh, by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do ask that you would speak to us from your word this morning, that we would delight ourselves in you and your goodness and all that you have done, that we would respond uh, to the commands in this passage in light of the gospel that you have given us, that we would see how much you loved us while we were enemies with you, and so in turn uh, we would go and love others who consider themselves our enemies. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just give me the words to say from this passage. Uh, Give me the clarity of of mind as we work through this. We just pray that that your spirit would be at work in the hearts of all who are here today. Uh, In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I don't have a, a real opening illustration for you other than to bring you a challenge and say this. Think of a time in your own life where you have had someone who you have been angry with, someone who has perhaps done you harm or done evil to you or betrayed you or stabbed you in the back or treated you unfairly. I am sure each and every one of us here today, if we were to poll you, you could come up with an example. And think of how you wanted to respond in those moments. And think of how you did respond. Did you seek revenge? Did you go and pay them back? Did you snub them and give them a cold shoulder so that maybe you didn't actively pay them back or respond with evil, but in sort of a passive, aggressive way, you didn't do anything kind and loving towards them. And so you were sort of passive aggressive in how you responded rather than doing good. Each and every one of us, including myself, have uh, at least one story of situations in life And probably most of us, including myself, have not always handled that according to the exhortations and instructions that we are given in Scripture. And let's just be bold and and straightforward up front. This is really a hard passage of Scripture to apply. In some ways, we've been saying in Romans, you know, there are a lot of hard passages and many of them have been hard doctrines to get our, our minds and our hearts around. But, but this is hard in a different sense because this one gets right to our hearts. Of course, they all should, but this one in very specific ways. How have I responded in the past to people who have treated me wrong? to people who have done evil to me? And how am I called to respond according to the Scriptures? Now again, as we walk through this, it is often, you can think, easier said than done to these instructions. 
And yet this is the high bar that the Lord lays before us. And the reason he lays this high bar before us is because he himself has loved us while we were enemies. And so it is the grace of the gospel that was given to us that God sought us while we were his enemies. That God showed us love in Jesus Christ while we were his enemies. Christ died for us to reconcile us and make peace between us and the Father. That is the motivation that we should have for loving our enemies. For people that treat us wrong and spurn us. And so this morning our main point is respond to evil with good. Respond to evil with good. And we could even be more specific and say, respond to evil with love. Sort of the theme verse is verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It sets the bar extremely high. Yet we have the Holy Spirit who wants us to do these things and equips us to respond with obedience. So first this morning, respond to evil with good by doing the honorable rather than getting payback. Do what is good. Do what is honorable. Do what is right. Do what is true. Do what is of high standard rather than getting Payback. Do not repay evil for evil. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. This sounds simple enough. And as I've said already, don't get payback. Don't think you're going to pay people back and I've got to, I've got to settle the score. They've wronged me in some way. And so now it's, it's, it's only fair that I get my peace. Do not seek revenge. This extends to doing evil and, and punishing people. But I think if we are entirely honest in the scope of application here, this should include do not hold grudges. And so some of us are thinking to ourselves, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a mean person. I'm not a violent person. I don't get revenge. But we stew on things. We bear a grudge and we say to ourselves, I'm not going to forget when they wronged me. And a day is going to come where they don't need my help and I'm just not going to do anything. As I mentioned already, that's sort of a, a passive aggressive ex- uh, approach. Do not hold grudges. First Corinthians 13:5, speaking of love, says it is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. The idea here of resentful is keeping a reckoning. In fact, some translations will actually say love keeps no record of wrongs. That bearing a grudge, calculating up what is owed to you, what you owe other people because of how they treated you. Do not bear grudges and hold resent. In fact, Leviticus 19.18 says this, You shall not take vengeance... Or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so we're all really familiar with the Old Testament command there. Love your neighbor as yourself. But what we don't often pay attention to is the scope of this command. Don't bear grudges. Don't get revenge. Don't take vengeance. 
particularly at the, it's, it says there to the sons of your own people. And we might apply that today to say most especially to brothers and sisters in Christ should these things be true. Now, hear me very clearly. This should be true across the board to the way that we love every person. And every person in one sense is our neighbor. But most especially inside the church where we have this common bond and this union in the Lord Jesus Christ, this, this raises the bar, if you will, that, that we are a spiritual family. Why is it sometimes that it is in the church that we are more resentful or hold grudges more than we do with our non-Christian neighbors? And let's be honest, sometimes it is easier to get along with an un- a non-Christian than it is sometimes with a Christian that you see every week at church that rubs you the wrong way, that has treated you poorly, that has done something that's offended you. Don't repay evil with evil. If someone has wronged you, do not wrong them back. And you might ask yourself this morning, is there anything that I am bitter about? Anything that I'm holding a grudge over or have some resentment over? Is there anything in the past that I, that for some reason I constantly need to remind myself or even remind others how people wronged me? We need to guard our hearts in this matter. Paul goes on from here and then he gives us the instructions. Not only don't do evil for evil, but he gives us the positive instruction here in verse 17. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, he doesn't mean uh, just think about it, but then don't do it. But certainly what he means at a minimum is we need to be intentional about doing good, about responding honorably, doing things that are of high standards. Uh, One commentator says this, doing good is something to be planned, not just willed. Meaning this doesn't just happen automatically. We need to think about the steps that we are going to take to do good to people. And sometimes it's exactly the people who have wronged us that we need to sit down and think hard about our attitude towards them. And hard and say, how can I continue to love them? You need to plan out your responses. Sometimes you need to think to yourself, well, if they do that to me again, you know, I'm just going to smile and be friendly. Or I'm going to, if I, you may say to yourself, well, if I ever have a chance to respond, if I ever a chance to help them, here is what I'm going to do to show love to them. We need to think about it, plan it out. It won't happen automatically if we don't. The word honorable here means good, something good, noble, uh, praiseworthy. It is actually just a slightly different word from the word used in verse 21. Uh, so that's why translators translate it honorable. But it's, it's just something that is that is noticeably good, that is praiseworthy, that is of high integrity and regard. So Galatians 6, 9, And do not grow weary of doing good. Same word there. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. As for you, brothers, 2 Thessalonians 3.13, do not grow weary in doing good. Again, same word. Notice that it says in verse 17 of our passage, in the sight of all. Now, what this doesn't mean is that you're doing good to other people so you can get pats on the back. 
This doesn't mean that you're showing off and you're saying, well, you know, they wronged me, so I'll look better in front of everybody else if I do good to them. And, and so you're kind of like in a, in a backhanded way, like, yeah, you're doing the right thing, but you're doing it because you really want to just one-up them. Well, you know, I'm going to show that I'm the more mature Christian here. In the sight of all just means that it will be recognized as standards of good and just and praiseworthy. In other words, it's something that's commonly agreed upon that, hey, that was a good thing that you did. So that this isn't something you're plotting out in, in manipulation. This is something you're doing with a sincere heart. This is something that other people will recognize as good. Not like, you know how when you sometimes punish your kids and, and you say, you, you give them a hard uh, statement like, you know, no candy or you're not allowed to go out anymore or whatever. You ground them and you say to them, this is for your own good. And, and yes, it is. Uh, Paul's not saying that's how we should get back at people. That's not what he's talking about. Like, like this should be something that everybody sees as good and honorable and praiseworthy, regardless of whether they know the circumstances in which you were wrong. First Peter 2.12 says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they speak against you as, when they speak against you as evildoer, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So here's a scenario where, where unbelievers are wronging us. They're speaking evil against us. And yet, our conduct is supposed to be honorable, good, praiseworthy. Again, the same word. And he says, what's going to happen is on the day of judgment, when the Lord returns, they'll have seen our conduct and they'll actually give glory to God for what we've done. And on top of that, other people before the day of the Lord might actually say, you know, I've seen how awful that person treats Christians. And there's that Christian, and look how they're treating them back. Look at how their conduct is honorable. Look at how their deeds are good. They're not sinning. Look at how they're not responding with harsh language. They just got cursed out, and they didn't even raise their temper. Wow. You see, we become an example for Jesus Christ. We become a testimony to the goodness of the gospel in us when we do not respond in kind, but respond in a way that's honorable, in a way that's good, in a way that's praiseworthy. And so then Paul says that we are to live at peace with others. If you look at verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, uh, live at peace with all. Now, I think we should acknowledge here, and I think this is kind of what Paul is getting at, is that sometimes... It is not possible to live at peace with someone. Sometimes you can do everything in your power to do it right, to make peace, to keep things smooth, and that person, they just have it out for you. Like you smile at them and they want to jump down your throat. And so there's not peace in that relationship, but it's not your fault. And in fact, you've gone out of your way to demonstrate peace, to demonstrate kindness. Maybe even someone gets mad at you and you take the initiative and you say, you know, when we first met, I, I think we just got off on the wrong foot. And you take that step of initiative to say, hey, let's just, you know, I, I just want you to know I, I appreciate you. Or, or you just say, hey, could, could we just start over here? Maybe I did something to offend you. Maybe I did something wrong. Uh, if I did, it was unintentional. And, and I want to clear the air and apologize and, and just make it right. 
And maybe it's not anything wrong that you did, but you just initiate in that way. Because you're trying to live at peace as much as it depends upon you. Sometimes there is nothing you can do. But the point is, so far as it is our part, we are to make every effort to make peace. That means we go out of our way sometimes. That means we don't sit there with our arms folded and say, you know, I'll wait till they come to me. Because they're the ones that are mad at me. They're the ones that wronged me. And so if they want if they want a friendship, if they want peace here, let them take the first move. As much as it depends upon you, live at peace. Reconcile. Go and try to heal the relationship. Certainly don't do anything that would aggravate the situation even more. You know how sometimes just by being yourself you can push people's buttons? And and all the wives are saying, yeah, my husband's like that. Sometimes being at peace with someone means if you know that this particular habit that you have, this particular way that you are, is going to push their buttons. You don't just roll up your sleeves and say, well, I'm just going to be me. You try to go out of your way to say, okay, I know that bugs them, and I know I'm not doing anything wrong, and I have everything right to do do that. But because it bugs them, I'm going to try to stop, at least when I'm around them. Uh, The only good example, and it's really just a bad example, um, the only example I was thinking of when I was writing this out this week was, you know, sometimes uh, in our family, you know, someone's chewing gum and they're chewing gum like really loud. And and that annoys someone else in the family. And, And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with chewing gum. There's nothing wrong with chewing gum loudly. It's not a a moral sin. And yet, you know what? Just to keep the peace, don't chew gum loudly. That's a silly example. That's a simple example. But this can go into so many deeper areas. And and you have to to stop and and, and think about this. I I can't be like a rabbi and have all this case law for you for every situation you're going to get into into life. But these are the principles that Scripture lays out. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, now, who in my life right now am I having trouble getting along with? That I don't have peace with? That they consider me an enemy? And maybe I have to go and reconcile. Maybe I have to go out of my way to avoid them because I know they're so angry with me that I would just make things worse if I even try to initiate You have to balance and say, okay, what are the the right steps that the Lord would have me do? How do I make peace here? How do I keep the peace? How do I not make things worse even? Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Hebrews 12, 14, Strive for peace with everyone. And then it says, And for the holiness of without which we will, no one will see the Lord. So there's two areas of striving. One, holiness in our lives. But the one that we often miss here is strive for peace with everyone. Striving means you have to work at it. Striving means it doesn't come easy. Striving means it's going to stretch you. And it might even frustrate you that you have to make peace. It might even frustrate you that you feel like you're constantly bending over backwards for this person. And yet we're to strive to make 
peace. It means we aren't just minding our own business. We are actively seeking peace. Jesus was rather serious about this. In Matthew 5, 22 to 24, he says this, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire, to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is, of course, speaking in a time where you took your offerings uh, to the temple to offer them up, but I think a good uh, illustration or analogy to today would be if you are worshiping at church and you remember that you have something or that someone has something against you. Jesus is so serious here that he says, stop your worship and go reconcile with that brother. And notice also what he says. This is not you have something against them. This is if you remember they have something against you. It gives no statement about whether that person is right or wrong. And so sometimes we might be in a situation where, where we've done nothing wrong. And that person has something against us. And it is so tempting to sit there and say, if they have a problem with me, they should come to me. I'm sure we've all done it. Look, I'm in the right. If they, if they have an issue with this, let them come and talk to me about it. That's not what Jesus says here. He simply says, if you know they have something against you, Go and reconcile with your brother. Leave your, your gift at the altar. Don't put your tithe in the offering this morning. Go, go and, and, and solve it with the brother or sister in Christ. Then come back and worship and bring your offering and your tithe. Now, you know, Jesus, I think, is obviously very serious about this, but sometimes, obviously, too, it's not feasible to do it immediately. Like, if you know they're in another church, you, you can't just necessarily walk into the church and like drag them out of the sanctuary and be like, okay, we need to solve this right now. But, but the point is, solve it as fast as you possibly can. Call them when you get home. Go to their house after church. Wait for them outside of church. Don't be like stalker crazy or anything. But, but take the initiative is the point. And don't be shy about taking the initiative. And, and don't just walk up to them and be like, hey, you have a problem with me? Like, then they think you're going to want to throw down and fight or something. Like, hey, we haven't been getting along really well. And I, I think I might have done something unintentionally that, that, that offended you. Is there something we need to talk about, uh, you say to them? So approach it graciously and in, and in gentleness. You may be absolutely right. But don't just walk in and be like, look, I'm in the right here, but you know, if you have something you want to get off your chest, I'm willing to listen. You know, work it out peaceably. Even be willing to acknowledge. Sometimes we, we don't do something wrong, but like in hindsight, we could have done it a lot better. We could have smoothed it over a little bit, what we said, or been a little more gentle with it. And you can, there, there's no shame in giving ground there and saying, you know, I didn't intend 
to wrong you in any way, but I can see where you're coming from and why this bothers you. And I want you to hear from me that I never intended to hurt you or harm you or offend you. And I'm sorry that this has happened between us. But seek peace. Seek the reconciliation. Be the peacemaker. Second this morning, respond to evil with good by leaving the judgment to the Lord. So, first here, do not avenge yourself. Look at verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Don't seek to punish people. Don't seek to get revenge. Don't seek to even the score. They've wronged me. Now justice needs to happen. All right, let's go. Don't avenge. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 1 Peter 3.9 Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And notice in 1 Peter, the, the motivation, the reason we don't revile now, there's a reason we don't get angry when people get angry, when people spurn us, when they hate us, when they, they are, they're spewing things of, of anger and, and revulsion towards us. We don't respond in kind. It's because that's exactly how Jesus acted. He did not respond in kind. First Peter 2.23, when he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't stand up on the cross and say, the judgment day is coming and you're going to get a piece of it. He said what? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Don't avenge yourself. Jesus says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This doesn't mean we should allow ourselves to become a punching bag or a victim of abuse. But it does mean we don't respond in kind. The temptation is if somebody slaps you, you're putting your dukes up and you're going to slap them back. You did one to me, I'm going to do one to you. Uh, when I was a teenager, you know, this is, this is kind of how you, you start messing around with the guys, right? They punch you one in the arm and you've got to punch them one back. And now that's all in good jest, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But in life when it's serious, don't respond in kind. The goal of the Christian life isn't to see that I get a fair shake. That I get what is rightly mine. Was Jesus treated fairly? Did he settle the score? On the cross, did he measure out the punishment against his enemies? No, it says he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Notice then it does tell us that vengeance does belong to the Lord. So look at the second half of the verse. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God is the ultimate judge of the living and the dead. And God will judge fairly. He will give due recompense. Meaning he will respond in justice that is equally fair to the wrongs that were done to any person. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30 and 31. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. This is all of these are quoting Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32, 35 and 36. Vengeance is mine and recompense. And for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of calamity is at hand, their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. And he sees that their power is gone and there's none remaining bond or free. One of the things here is this idea that God will take care of his people. He will vindicate you on some day. You don't need to go out of your way to vindicate yourself. You don't need to settle the score and balance the table. Tables, because the Lord Himself will take care of that in the due and proper time. He will see His children in calamity. He will see injustices that have been done to them, how they've been treated unfairly. And He will take care of it with good and true and right justice. I think that this would also include not only on the day of judgment. But in the present time, sometimes the Lord uses the hand of government and the state to execute his justice. You'll see that in Romans 13.4. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. For he is God's servant, the magistrate. He is God's servant for good. For if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. But he is a servant of God, an avenger. Similar word there to the idea of vengeance is mine. He is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoing. Let me just say as an aside, the Christian doesn't need to stand in the way of the government. What do I mean by that? Well, look, if somebody wrongs you, if somebody wrongs you in a criminal way, it's not seeking revenge to allow the government, to allow the cops and the court system to give a fair and just punishment. Now, there may be times where someone wrongs you in a particular way and you say, you tell them, look, I just I don't want to press charges. Uh, It was a misunderstanding. Uh, Someone stole some food from you and you say, look, they were hungry. Let's let's not throw them in jail. There are other times where the right thing to do is to say, look, they really did wrong me. and I'm going to allow them to have the consequences of justice. That's not revenge. That's simply allowing the Lord to do his work. That's sort of an aside here. But notice that we should not be driven as our primary motive, the desire to be vindicated. Sometimes that desire to be vindicated, that desire to have everything right and get justice can be so overwhelming and encompassing that we lose sight of the purposes that all we focus on is, is getting our fair shake, getting uh, even, or, or maybe even getting justice. That we don't think about the bigger picture. Think, for example, of Job. All he wanted was his day in God's court to say, these things that are happening to me are not happening because of any sins. He wanted that vindication. And on the one side of it, that was good. You think about it. He had those three friends who were always saying, Job, you must have done something wrong. And Job just, the frustration begins to boil over. But over time, as you read through the book of Job, he he goes from just saying, look, I'm innocent. 
to wanting to have an argument with God, to wanting God to vindicate him and be able to come before God and say, God, let me tell you why this wasn't fair. Let me tell you why this shouldn't have happened to me. Don't let that desire to be vindicated or that desire for justice, which starts out as good, to be something that so consumes you that you lose sight of the plan and purposes and the glory of God. That you lose sight of there maybe is something that God is calling you here to suffer through. That you can relax and be calm that God will vindicate you on the day of the Lord. And you don't need to try to force his hand and and convince him to do something now. That you don't become uh, consumed by your pursuit of justice. Isn't there a a French novel with that guy, Javert, or whatever, who stole the bread and the cop pursues it? I forget what it is now off the top of my head, but it just kind of popped into my head and I couldn't remember all the names. But but you know how that works. You just get so full of, i got to get this right. And and I'm the kind of guy that likes things to be right and perfect and neat and, and stacked out. And sometimes you just have to let it go. Let me ask this question as we think about how to apply this. Should I look for the Lord's vengeance? It's kind of a, a weighted question. It, it says here, make room for the, the vengeance of the Lord. Leave it to the wrath of God. Should I look for the Lord's vengeance? Well, with many things, it depends on how you're asking that and why you're asking that. And so the answer is sort of yes and no. And I don't want to seem like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but I want you to think about it this way. Don't take pleasure in the coming of the Lord's wrath. Ezekiel 33:11 says this, Say to them as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God is not up in heaven going, oh yes, we're going to get it, we're going to stick it to them, this is going to be awesome. He's not deriving pleasure. He will bring his justice that will glorify his name, but, but God is not getting excited about it. Uh, if, if I can say it, God isn't getting a jolly good laugh. Oh, yeah, it's coming. And so we ourselves should know. If God doesn't have this in his character, we should not look forward to people getting wrath in the day of judgment with a sort of perverse pleasure. When Paul says, leave it to the wrath of God, he doesn't mean that we come up to somebody and go, you know, you've wronged me. Guess what's coming for you? You know how hot it's going to be for you on the day of judgment? Woo! Yeah! And I'm going to be right there. And No. Don't take pleasure and look for the vengeance of the Lord. This could be not only with respect to the day of judgment, but, you know, we've all had, I'm sure, those scenarios where where someone who has wronged us, something calamitous comes up in their life, maybe a car accident, maybe they get sick, and we're like, yes! It's about time something bad happened to them because think of how they treated me. 
maybe not quite that gleeful, but maybe we just sit back and shake their heads and go, yeah, comes around, goes around. Don't have that kind of glee. You don't know why God is bringing that into their life. You don't know if God is trying to teach them. You don't know if God is trying to stretch them. Maybe it has nothing to do with your situation that God allowed that to come up in their life. The temptation is to be like, yeah, well, they wronged me, so they're immature, so obviously God is trying to teach them Christian maturity. You don't know. Don't be gleeful about it. Don't be like Jonah. He wanted the judgment on the Assyrians, right? So much so that he fled. When God said, go preach the gospel to them, he fled. Because he says, I know what's going to happen. God, you're a God of mercy and grace. And if these people repent, you're going to save them. Like, think about that. A non-Christian wrongs you. And you, in effect, say, I'm not going to share the gospel with them. Because then God might forgive them. And they won't get it then on the day of judgment. Oh, may we not be like that. May we have a a compassion and a heart that says the best thing that could happen to somebody who wronged me is that they turn to the gospel. And maybe they don't even, as a Christian, ever come back and and apologize to you. Because maybe they don't think they did anything wrong. Maybe they didn't even realize how much they wronged you. But wouldn't it be awesome if they were a brother and sister in Christ and at least their soul is saved? Don't look for the vengeance of the Lord in that way. However, you can let your mind have peace that God will fairly bring justice and judge in due course. There are many times in the Psalms, but especially in the book of Revelation, where the saints are are before the throne of the Lord and they cry out to God, How long, O Lord? O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge your blood on those who dwell on the earth? It is not wrong in appropriate context to, to carefully pray out in desperation, God, deliver me from this. God, please, I'm longing for the day of your return. Great evil is being done to the church. Persecution. Maybe you've been wrong, but certainly greater wrongs have been done overseas. You think about how people are killing Christians. And it is not wrong to look at the tragedy, to look at the injustice and pray, Lord, please return. Please return and and deliver your saints from these things. Protect them, save them, vindicate them. Show your love for them and, and bring justice. Not that we're praying for revenge, but that we're looking for God. And we're patient in understanding that God will do what is right. In the interim, though, we need to live by loving others. And our third this morning is respond to evil with good by loving and serving your enemies. And and specifically, you know, it's easy to say, I'm going to love my enemies. It's tough to do what Paul says here. We're, we're not just supposed to say like, oh yeah, okay, I love my enemies. We're actually supposed to do things 
that demonstrate that we love them. So, what does he say? To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Romans 12:14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. Look, there are times in the Bible where prophets and others will rightly curse someone, and it's a curse from the Lord. But the instruction to us is, even when it's warranted here, don't curse them. Bless them. The simple way, one of the simple things would be, pray for their salvation. Pray that things would go well in their life. If they have a family, pray that their family would have good relationships. Maybe they're a fellow Christian already and you just pray for God to do good things in their life. The hardest thing to do is to pray for the good of someone who has wronged you. One of the ways I think that we should pray for people is pray that God would deal with them in the same gentleness with which we want God to deal with us. When I've done something wrong, I don't want God to smack me down. I kind of fear that a little bit, if I'm honest. Like, I don't want to learn my lessons the hard way. And how often do we hope that when someone has wronged us, that they would learn the hard lesson of what they did was wrong. Pray that they would learn the lesson the easy way. And don't pray thinking that you know what the lesson is that they need to learn. Pray with graciousness. Set in your mind that if something comes up, you're going to go out of your way. Maybe their stove breaks down and you offer to take them a meal. Their house is without electricity and you uh, bring them a flashlight or let them come over to your house where it's warm. Their car gets a flat tire and you help and stop them to change it and fill it up. Exodus fleshes this out even more. Exodus 23.4 If your enemy ox or his donkey are gone astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see a donkey of the one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it from him. Maybe you have a neighbor who's always angry because your dog runs into his yard and pees on his tree. And his trash can blows away. And you see it going down the road. And it's cold and it's windy and it's so easy to just stay inside. And you wouldn't necessarily be doing anything wrong, just minding your own business. Go out of your way to go out and get that trash can and take it back to your neighbors. We could just multiply these examples on and on. It doesn't have to be big things, simple things. I would say this, though, with regard to heaping burning coals on his head. First, my motive isn't to get back at him. Ha <laughs> I'm, I'm going to love him and loving them is going to make them so angry. This is going to be fun. It's going to keep burning coals on their head. This is just the response. The second issue with this is there's a little bit of debate. Heaping burning coals on their head could mean that in the day of judgment, God will expose even more 
just how unjust they treated you because you did nothing to them and loved them. Or it could mean, and I, I kind of favor this one a little bit, although the idea of heaping burning coals, you can find it in the Psalms and it does relate to God's judgment. I think it tends to just mean, though, the idea is the person will be shamed in how they treated you. And it may be the shame comes on the day of judgment when God exposes it, but it may also be in this light that they'll stop and say, wow, I've treated them terrible and they've done nothing good for me. Sometimes other people see it. Sometimes you never win the heart of that person that, that has wronged you. But an outsider sees it. And they say, wow, there really is something to their Christianity. They really do believe in the gospel. They really are a different person. The Christian life is real for them because look at, look at how they're acting. Your ultimate desire for your enemy then should be their reconciliation with God. Through Christ. What is your goal of loving your enemy? You want to see them come to Christ. You want to see Christ glorified. We're going to kind of shift gears here a little bit this morning and we're going to take communion. And I want you to think about this that as we partake communion, we are remembering how God reconciled himself to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. That God is the ultimate one who loved his enemy. That Christ set the perfect example for this by laying down his life. Yes, he loved us, but there was nothing that we were doing at the time that would cause God to love us. How much more if the God of the universe who has every right in His holiness to judge us extends this mercy by having the Lord Jesus Christ die on the cross for us? How much more should we be willing to sacrifice a little bit of our pride and forgive and love and reconcile? I'm going to ask the guys to come forward this morning to pass out the elements of communion. And we want to remind you of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we were sinners, separated and alienated from God. That our sins deserve the just punishment and wrath of God. That we should have been judged. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Scriptures say. They also say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Christ set himself forth to be the sacrifice for our sins. And so he came to earth. He lived uh, the perfect life. He obeyed God perfectly. And when the time came, he was betrayed. He was stabbed in the back, metaphorically speaking. And he was taken up to the cross and he was brutally hung and murdered on the cross of Calvary. And while he hung on the cross, the night or the day turned to night. It became dark over all the land. And God in heaven was judging in those moments our sin on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he became our substitute. He swapped places with us. 
that we deserve that punishment that he was getting in those hours on the cross. And he died. He paid the penalty that we deserved. He did not stay dead. He was buried in the grave. On the third day, he rose again from the dead because the grave was not able to hold him. He exhausted the punishment that we deserved. And it is only through putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that you receive the forgiveness of sins. That you acknowledge that you are a sinner. That you confess those sins before God. And you ask the Lord Jesus Christ, come into my heart. Forgive me of these sins based on your shed blood. If you have done that, please take communion with us today. If you have never done that, please consider praying right now and asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins, that his shed blood and broken body would cover you. But these elements today, they are just symbols. They symbolize Jesus' broken body and shed blood. And as you partake of them, remember the faith that you have in Jesus. Remember what he did on the cross. That this is the only hope that we have for salvation. The only way we can go to heaven is to have Christ shed blood covering us, having been received through faith and having experienced the grace of God. The scriptures tell us that before we take the Lord's Supper, each one of us should examine our hearts. And so I ask you this morning, where do you stand with God? Are you under his judgment? Or are you under his forgiveness, having believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you feel the weight of being under judgment, turn to Christ. Look at him and all that he did for you on that cross. And believe in Jesus. Confess him as Savior and Lord. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we partake of communion, we ask that you would be at work in our hearts and in our lives, that you would, that you would remind us of the cross and all that it means in partaking of the shed blood and broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We give you thanks as we partake of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.